0: If you're newer around here, we want you to be there. If you're older around here and you've never been to the journey, we want you to be there. Um, this is, everybody is welcome to, to join us. Uh, everybody is invited. Just let us know. Uh, you can do that through simple sign-up or you can, before you leave this morning, just come tell me or tell my wife you're going to be at our house. All the information, details and stuff uh, should be in the bulletin, okay? And uh, we have been showing videos around here every week for, the, for quite a while about some things you can do, some things you can get involved in, either connecting relationally or actually uh, putting your hands to something and accomplishing something in, in a work sense. That's this category this morning. Uh, this is part of our children's ministries, and Pastor Mary wants to invite you to be part of children's ministries.
1: When I grew up, I want to be an actress. When I grow up, I want to be a clown. When I grow up, I want to be an animal researcher. When I grow up, I want to be a virtual security officer. You can shape who I become. I'm worth the investment, I promise. You could be my teacher. Hi, my name is Mary, and I'm the kids pastor here at Church at Briargate. We need grandmas and grandpas. Mommies and daddies. Aunts and uncles. And teenagers. We need help in all of our children's ministries. That includes... Nursery, preschool, kids' lectures, girls' ministries, royal rangers, and kids' church. We'll be having a training day for our kids' workers on Saturday, November 11th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. If you're interested in helping in kids' ministries, we'd love for you to join us for that. You could be the one to change our lives and build God's kingdom.
0: proud of all of our kids. Uh, Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Um, I did have one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, do, you have the, do you have the picture back there? Uh, we weren't allowed to tell anybody for a little while, but my kids are expecting. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm going to be a granddaddy, be a grandpa. I've told them I want, because Scott is difficult to say sometimes for kids. I've been dealing with this all my life. Um, so I told them I want my name to be Papa Squat. They're not, they're not sold on it yet, but we'll, we got time. We got time. We can work on that. Um, Exodus chapter 20, this is, this is um, I continue from last week. So last week we talked about um, uh, the understanding of, of prayer and really committing, dedicating ourselves to prayer, not just, not just the pray as we go along kind of thing, which is good too, but really sectioning time off in our life and saying, God, I, I need some alone time with you. I need some specific time with you that, that, it, that it's just you and me and I'm talking to you about uh, the things of life. And petitioning God, there's, there's, there is uh, a mentality sometimes that if we just keep doing it with all of life that that's okay. But as I mentioned last week, it's the same thing as saying to my wife, yes, I want to have a, a, a very important conversation with you. Um, I need some background noise like we do with worship music and stuff. And so I'm going to have the football game on while we're having this deep uh, discussion of marriage and family life. Sometimes you do need to turn everything, including your worship music off, turn everything off and have some just alone time with God. And, and really, this is you and him on an on a intimate level. All right. So I want to take this to kind of the next step of this this morning. And and look at this from the concept of prayer and fasting, and then at the end of this, we're gonna we're gonna make some decisions about this week, and to call us into uh, this entire week, of uh, time of prayer and fasting, and really looking at that as a uh, collective body that we're doing that together. There's there's some things that I mentioned last week that I think that we, I think there's a few things going on in our church in a big sense. I mean, there's lots of things going regularly, but but these a couple of basic specific things that I think. I really believe that we are that we 're coming to a time frame of kind of a, a, a harvest i i mean i 'm talking about witnessing all the time i 'm talking about but i i 'm sensing maybe i 'm totally wrong, but i don 't think I am that that we 're coming to a time frame that 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 God is about to put a lot of people in our paths individually and as a church corporately that want to accept jesus christ as their as their savior, and we need to be ready for that we need to be the church that 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 on a spiritual level we're saying, okay, um, I'm ready personally to witness to my my coworker. I'm I'm ready as a we're ready as a church to 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 uh, absorb these people into the kingdom of God and help them see who Jesus is on a regular basis. And I I think another piece of this is, and I, I think they're tied together. But I do believe, and I've mentioned this a lot over the last quite a few months now, I believe we're kind of coming up to a wall in a spiritual sense, and I don't necessarily know what that means. And I don't know like, what's on the other side, except some, some general things that Scripture tells us about what God wants to do with this and how He wants to pour His Spirit into our lives and things like that. And and so a prayer and fasting is, is how we get to the other side of these issues, how we push through to these kind of things. And, and so I want to explain that a little bit this morning. I mentioned also last week that um, <clears throat> that sometimes the this, these are good red flags for us. These should be... Um, these should be important things for us. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. We had, uh, my son Isaac has a, has a girlfriend, and he invited her over to dinner, um, you know, the meet the parents dinner. And, and uh, man, I love those moments. And, um, and so I'm I'm, I'm I'm quizzing her. In fact, my oldest son called and said, Dad, please, please don't. Please don't. Just don't, Dad. And I said, you don't even know. You're not here. You don't know anything. He said, but I know you. And so please don't. But I did encourage her constantly through the dinner. I said, "Are you writing some of this stuff down? Because I think these are red flags for you. I don't know if if you're paying attention, but these are red flags to this boy that you're trying to date. So, so these are the kind of things that um, that as as a uh, Christian there should be some red flags. Here's some of these red flags: when you are um, when you're catching yourself being critical of things, that's a red flag of something. And one of the basic things is is that there is a there's a spiritual drought that's happening. Okay, if you're critical and <clears throat> you can choose any context, uh, the easiest is family, uh, marriage. If you're being critical and everything just has kind of a negative uh, twist to it, uh, that's that's spiritual drought. That's not their. That's not all their problems. That's your problem. The Holy Spirit is is wanting to do more things in you than you're letting him at that time, and specifically just closeness and intimacy. Um, critical in the workplace. Critical of people of the of. You know that nobody on the road drives right. Right, I know you're thinking, no, that's different. That's you crossed a line there. But, <clears throat> but if, if you got this criticalness that's going on, I've even seen it within the church. I can see as a pastor when the, when things start becoming critical within the church context, and and um, and that's not always something that you you like define specifically, but you can feel it. You can sense it. That's a, that's a, a, a good um, sign that our eyes are not on Jesus like they're supposed to be, and we need to kind of re, uh, reappropriate this. And so, okay, Lord, this is about you. It's not about us. All right, one of the best things that I have heard about all these um, NFL players kneeling for the anthem and stuff like that, one of the best commenta- commentaries that I heard about this is one guy saying, the saddest part about this that they don't realize is that the, the national anthem is is all of ours together for a country good and bad it doesn't matter whether you've been a good or bad country over the past i mean there's all that junk going on but he said that the national anthem is for all of us and you've got a few people that have made it about them and then we can do the exact same thing in church church is about all of us it's the kingdom of god about all of us and if you're not careful you can make it about you well the best the best indicator that i mean the best thing that you should notice at that moment is that's proof that the holy spirit is not you're not allowing the holy spirit to roll through your life or going after him uh, the way that you should it's the it's the intimacy it's a, it's the the needing him and so this is this comes to the idea of prayer and fasting this is what fasting brings to prayer is it helps it not be about you in fact it's that's the that is the epitome of fasting is it's not about you; it's about God, and it's about you getting to Him. And the stuff of us often keeps us from getting to Him. And so this is this is this is the whole deal with this. And so <clears throat> knowing that the Lord never changes, but that we do uh, on a regular basis—that's that's the idea. So Exodus chapter twenty, verse one. This is we're going to go back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And again, I, I know I, I uh, say this every now and then, but if you really want to know the heartbeat of God, you've got to go back to certain specific places. And I think creation, the, creative, the creation account, is one of the best places to really get God's heartbeat about things. But you've got to kind of look past the Sunday school way of looking at, at um, the creation account and look at bigger. Let it expand. And the same way with the, t- the Ten Commandments, certain things like this along the way, that we take them <clears throat> and we limit them but they're not limited when the way God laid them down in the beginning. We limit them. You know, we put them on nice little things that magnets that stick to our refrigerator, and because those aren't big, you have to simplify them to the thou shalt not, right? And that's not really what's going on here. So in Exodus chapter 20 verse 1, it says, then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now, this is this is an important sentence to start out with to understand the context of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not just a list of don't do this because the the great ruling judgment God in the sky tells you not to do this. He's telling us first, he's starting off with the right context. I'm the guy that rescued you. I'm the guy that, that and if we go back to that account in, uh, uh, of the... Um, the, the exodus and the, all the stuff coming up to it, it says that he heard their cries of distress. He heard their cries calling out to him, we need you, God, we need you to rescue us. And that's what took him to, to delivering them from the slavery of the Egyptian people. And so he's going back, he's saying, I'm the guy that rescued you. I'm the guy that, that, that brought you out of slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or in the earth or the sea. And, and let me throw something out here you may have never processed with the Ten Commandments. And, I, and this is one of those things that kind of got me um, a while back. And this moment when I realized it's almost like God is pleading with us. If you can, if you can not serve other gods, that would be really good. And, and part of the reason for this, I think there's a lot, I think this is a very big picture, but part of the reasons for this is he has is, he is, um, uh, set up certain guidelines for us that says, this is, this is who I'm going to be, and if you will be this, these will be the results. And while God never changes, almost everything that God puts in Scripture is, is, um, is, has a disclaimer to it. You must do this. I will do this, I will be this, and you will do this and be this, and then these will be the results. I'm going to take care of him and bless you, do all this other kind of stuff. And we think that God's list of who He should be should be, regardless of how we treat him in, re- in return. that he should act this certain way, regardless of who we are. We can treat him horribly. We can treat him good. Does doesn't matter God. you've got to do this, you've got this. And then we blanket this over all of society, over all the planet. We say, God, you must take care of and protect every human, regardless that some absolutely hate you. Th- this is one of the things that I have, I have been saying for years and years on a, on a um, national level, on a political level, and we're just now starting to hear some things from our new president with some of this, and it's actually very encouraging, is Why do we give hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to countries around the world that burn our flag in the streets and curse our nation and curse our leadership and curse our democracy? Why do we give those people money? And then the argument comes from some groups of society that say, "But we're giving the money to the people. That's because you've never been to these countries. You're not giving one penny to the people." You're building bigger palaces for the leaders. That's all you're doing. And so we keep, finally we're starting to say, why do we do this? Why don't we stop doing They're building nuclear bombs to, to nuke us, and they're telling us they're going to do that. And we're like, well, here's some more money. And if that doesn't work, how about some uranium? I- I'm not making this up. And so somewhere along the way, we have the same mentality. See, I believe that when we see those things in society, we're actually seeing something that is part of a way that we look at other things backwards and specifically how we look at God and we look at the understanding of God's word and scripture. Now, I, I you may not build those bridges there, but I really do. I believe that I believe even the way that we parent children nowadays is directly relational to how we see God. The idea that we're, you know, everybody gets the trophy, we shouldn't ever. Um, spank a child or, or you know, if we're going to do something, we're going to bruise their psyche. You know where that comes from is the idea that that's our religious foundation. And then we start extrapolating that to God. God, don't bruise my psyche. And God says, well, I don't play your dumb games. <laughs> you can play them, but God does not play those games. And this, God says, this is who I am, and this is who I want you to be, and I'm going to do some really cool stuff But this is who you need to be. And so then when we go back to this, and he's saying, don't serve other gods. Why? Because I've got a lot of stuff planned for you, but if you don't be who I've told you to be, and you don't let me be God over everything, then I can't be God over everything, and this stuff is not going to be there. And it's almost like he's pleading with us. Don't mix it up with your goofiness. Don't put your gods in the mix. First, they can't help you, but if you want them to be the ones you go to, fine. But I don't share that role. So if you want other gods, you got other gods, but you don't get me. Now, if you want me, all in. And that's what he says. Look at this again. You must not have any other God but me. Don't make yourself an idol, any kind of image of anything in the heavens, on the earth, and the sea. You must not bow down to them. Or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Do you see the relationship side of this? The the passion of this? The heartbeat of this? This isn't just a bunch of rules. If this was a list of rules, he wouldn't be using emotive terms. He would be using more quantifiable terms of judgment. Don't do this or you're going to go to hell. Don't do this or you're going to be punished. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm a jealous God. My heart is beating for you. And when you chase after other, other gods, it hurts me. I want this connection. I want this relationship with you. But, you, but, but I'm not going to share you. Which, by the way, it is the basic concept of, of um, true, intimate, committed relationship in the context of marriages. I'm not sharing you. I, it's, it's you and me, and that's it. I'm not sharing you. And God's saying the same thing. I'm not sharing you. You want me or do you not want me? You must not bow down to them. I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Now, regardless of whether you think this is right or fair or whatever, it is what it is. And God says, when you don't serve me, let me let me put it in in terms of kind of like today if you don't put me first in all things then your children will learn to not put me first in all things and i believe there's a spiritual thing here too i think there's a a transcending spiritual thing where you're spiritually sowing these seeds into your family you're sowing them into your grandkids you're sowing them into the generations to come later and you're saying is god important I don't know. Let's look at the things in our life. Let's look at things like prayer. Let's look at things like going after God. Let's look at things like our finances and tithing missions, stuff like that. Let's look at church attendance. Let's look at things that that are we really chasing after God mentality. Well, you're sowing these seeds, and you're sowing them into your children, spiritually, but also very uh, pragmatically. They're watching. They're learning. This is what life looks like. Life is good, uh, we go to church until something major happens, um, like a football game. And then we, you know, we don't go to church on those days. But, um, or we, we, I mean, we do major, I mean, we serve God. We pray as a family unless, like, a school event comes up, and then we don't pray as a family. And, and, and then we're teaching. We're sowing these seeds. We're sowing these seeds. And he says this happens to generation, generation, generation. Now, before you say, well, God, you're a mean God and all this, but then what he says Again, this is relationship. Just do what he says. Just be who he's told you to be. Just love him with everything. And he says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. That's huge. He says, Would you, when you're not serving me, when you're not passionate after me, it's going to affect the next few generations to come. But if you'll bow down before me and serve me, it will affect for 1,000 years. My love will be poured out. My blessings will be poured out. I, I really believe that as, as America, that's a little bit what we've experienced. We've experienced, even in modern times, we've experienced the blessings of our forefathers. Um, I grew up, I was a teenager in the 80s. And um, who said wow? I was just to play the last point. Okay, good, all right. Somebody punch him if he, so, (laughs) so I grew up in the 80s, I was four in 1989, so, um, (laughs) so, uh, so what was I saying? So, I, 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 I saw, I saw, and it's hard for me to explain this to my kids nowadays, but the, even from the late 70s into the, to the, even the year 2000, that time frame, our country was amazingly, amazingly financially blessed. And, and people could make money like crazy. Just almost, you know, just try a little bit and you're going to make some money. You're going to get jobs that are way above what you should have. All kinds of stuff that were happening. I watched this stuff go on. And, and I don't believe it's because we were such a godly people at that time frame. I believe that we were experiencing the blessings that had been poured out from God upon the grandfathers and the great-grandfathers and the great all the way back kind of generations that said, we're going to serve God no matter what. We're going to put God first. We, As a country, we're going to live morally according to what God's laws are. And then God blesses and God blesses and God blesses. So here's the question that I would say for us is what are we doing? How are we thinking living right now that would say uh, my great-grandchildren this is what they're going to get. I'm saying in a general sense, look at our country right now. What are we building right now as a country that we're going to be handing off to our great-grandkids, our great-great-grandkids? This, it, it's kind of scary to me to see, just continue with, wherever we are right now, just pick anywhere in society right now, and take that to a, a culmination of, of a you know, it doesn't get better. it, it continues the same direction. What is that going to look like morally? What's it going to look like financially? What's it going to look like in mean, a spiritual sense? What's it going to look like in, in a relational sense, in a kindness, in how we treat people sense? God says, if you'll put me first above everything, that's really the basis of it. I will, I will bless to a thousand years. Let me show you something else you might not have noticed before. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Now, the few scriptures after this are the scriptures about the wineskins, and, and the wineskins always seem to get the, um, the uh, focus of this little, you know, don't put um, old leather on, I mean, new leather on old wines, you know how, so, you know it probably better than me, hopefully. So, uh, Matthew chapter 9, the very first part of this, first two verses of this whole paragraph is something that I think sometimes we can skip right over and not really see what he's saying. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And I don't believe that John the Baptist's disciples were trying to be um, sarcastic. I don't think they were trying to be holier than thou. I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think they're saying, oh, look at us. We, we fast. Why don't your disciples? I think they're really asking a question. I'm hoping that they're really asking a question, saying, I, I want to know, because I think there's actually a reason. I think there's something going on that I haven't really processed. And while I am fasting, I believe that's part of my life. Why aren't your disciples fasting, Jesus? And Jesus says, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. This is one of the things that I know is not that popular of a subject in Christianity in America today is the idea of fasting. Um, it's it 's countercultural we 're the opposite in our country today we 're all about eating more and having more and doing more and engaging more and all these other kind of things i mean we 're society even though i 'm in favor of this i 'm not anti this I want you to process this because twenty years ago, if I would have said this, people would have said you 're crazy we, we pay six dollars for a cup of coffee i I remember me and a pastor I was a youth pastor of his this is the early '90s. And um, I was sorry, I would have been about, uh, I don't know, seven at that time. So I was a youth pastor of a church, and I, and I went across the road. Me and my pastor would go across the road to this little coffee shop where all these farmers would hang out. And that was our, we, we took an opportunity to witness to them, and the guys would have prayer requests for us and things. I mean, it was kind of a cool thing. So we'd go across, and we'd get a cup of coffee. 50 cents. 50 cents. And it was coffee. That was it, it was just coffee. And and if you would have told me then, someday, <clears throat> you are going to walk into a store and buy a cup of coffee with all kinds of stuff in it and flavors and names and things, and you're going to pay six bucks for that coffee, I would say, you're crazy. But it's pumpkin spice season, <clears throat> right? <laughs> so... So, so here, here is the deal with, with this um, thing that I think maybe we don't see here with something that Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you've got, you've got a lot of stuff. You've got things. You've got life. You've got a, but here's the deal that I don't think we process is when the groom goes away, we fast. And, and I think this needs to be a part of our Christian walk on a regular basis. I think fasting has got to be integrated into this as part of us. This is what we do. Because I don't think there's anything else that I read in Scripture that shows us that we can get certain dynamics in our life changed the way they need to be without fasting. And fasting, now this is the part that we probably haven't processed before. Do you realize that, look what he, get, what he says here. Do wedding guests mourn while, the, while they're celebrating with the groom? Of course not. That someday when the groom is taken away, they fast. You know what that tells me? is that when Jesus is standing with us in physical form, which is relationship, we don't need to fast because we have him there. But when he is not there in physical form, the, the, the physical connected relationship side has been taken away. And apparently, according to this, the only way I can get back to that at some particular level is that I fast. There is a relationship concept here that if I really want to get that closeness and that intimacy with Jesus, the best that I can, separate from the incarnation itself, the best that I could hope for is that I I fast and I say to this human body, this physicalness, I say, you're not in charge and I'm going to put you off to the side for a little bit because you're the reason I can't get close to Jesus. When I look in the mirror, that's the reason I can't get close to Jesus on a regular basis. Because i got so much of me involved. i got so much of my life and my ideas and my time schedules and my stuff. And Jesus is saying, I really want to spend some time with you. He says, I used to could spend it to, with you in person. But now that I can't, you fast. That's what, that's what these two verses are saying. Fasting is a relationship thing. It's directly connected. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Now, God knows that we need him. He knows this. And we know that we need him. But I think, I don't think I know for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't think I need God as much as God thinks I need God. Because if I thought I needed God more, I would do things more, right? You you follow what I'm saying? You're on the same page with me. I know this. I know I need God more, and I know the things that it will take to get me in, in better and deeper relationship. But I'm lazy about it. I am lazy about it. I, I, I work out all the time. That is a big deal for me. I love to work out. I love to exercise. I love to lift weights, all this kind of stuff. My oldest son called. He, he likes this, too. And he's, he said, Dad, I'm going to work out tonight. And, all this, and he said, I'm doing this. And we talk about some of the things that we're working out and doing and he says, what are you doing right now? And I said, well, son, it's been um, about five weeks since I've been to the gym. He said, Dad, that's not acceptable. <laughs> and I, and I, so I reverted back to, I used to beg you to work out and me, shut your mouth, kid. I know, you don't, you just now, I don't know who you think you are kind of thing. But after I got past that, I was like, yeah, you're right. Do you know how easy it is to not work out? Can I get an Amen. Are we, are we deep followers of that philosophy? But you, <laughs> but you know how difficult it is to take a step. So this week, this last week, finally, after weeks of not doing this and being lazy about it, and, and I'm a three, four days a week, I, I mean, I'm adamant about this when I'm on track. And I'm usually on track a lot. And um, so this week, I went and had a small heart attack and an explosion of my lung. And uh, we call that a workout, and I got back on track. Here's another thing. When you when you reach the advanced age that I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I'm up to twelve now. You you it 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 takes more. It takes more. And I was thinking about it this week while I was praying to the to the Lord in heaven to come quickly while I was on an exercise bike. I I was thinking to myself, you know, this is the thing, and I think this is spiritually. I think sometimes we think as we get older in life and older in Christ, because we know more, because we have an understanding of things more, that we don't have to work as hard at this. And I think it's actually the other way around. We have to fight ourselves more because we've got a lot more of life convincing us we don't need to or want to, or we're okay, or things are all right like it is. I remember the very first week I was a youth pastor, the very first church I was a youth pastor at, I spent six or seven hours a day praying, God, please help me know a little bit about what I'm trying to to accomplish here. I'd never been a youth pastor. I didn't know what I was doing. I was scared to death. This pastor called me and said, hey, you want to be a youth pastor? I was like, all right. And then I got there and I'm thinking, what have I done? And I began to pray and seek God because I was scared. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I was scared to death. I would get up in the pulpit and preach. I only did that a couple times the first year that I was a youth pastor. And I would stand there, and we had these big pulpits, big old wooden things, huge, tall. And, and I was so thankful for those because I was shaking like this behind it. I don't, I don't get nervous nowadays. It's been years and years since I've been nervous. I don't always think that's a good thing. Because sometimes being nervous, insecure, or whatever, not, maybe not insecure, but you know what I'm saying, fearful, or whatever, pushes us toward desperation in God more. God, I don't know what tomorrow holds, so I'm going to spend time with you. And then, I know this is circular reasoning, don't, don't put too much theological into this, but I do think there's some, some reality here. I do think that sometimes the reason we go through the things we go through is because God can't get us close to him in any other way. If we just live our life like we're living it, we don't go after him. And so he says, okay, I guess i got to put some potholes in your life. And then maybe that doesn't work. So he says, okay, maybe put some small trenches in your life. Well, that doesn't work. And so he puts a, a, a grand canyon in your life, and finally on the way down, you're like, wait a second, God, I could use you. God says, finally, finally. Guys, let me help you with a little, little spiritual secret here. Fasting can get you there without the stuff. Fasting can get you there without the the pressures of life because you're choosing to put yourself in a place to say, God, I need you, regardless of whether good things or bad things are happening in my life, I'm going to chase after you. And that's what fasting does. No to self and yes to the Lord. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. He says, When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. And suffer severely. And by the way, this is the New King James. This is not New Living Translation in case you're trying to follow along in one of your Bibles. The reason I use the New King James here is because this is one of the few places that I believe the New Living Translation doesn't get it right. You say, well, who are you to judge that? Wait till we get to the end of this and you'll see. It says, Lord, have mercy on my son. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with, uh, bear with you? Bring him here to me. You understand he's talking to his disciples when he says that? He says, our disciples can't cure him. And he starts into this, you're faithless and perverse generation. And the disciples are like, I thought you, you, he was just, you're talking about us? That's what's going on. Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately just to check out why did you call us that stuff? Why could we not cast this out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, your lack of faith. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And in the New Living Translation, that verse is left out because um, it wasn't in some earlier manuscripts, which I think they got it wrong. It should be in there. Look at it again. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, he's talking about building, the, building your faith up. The disciples had kind of gotten a little bit of, um, a little bit, I believe, a little bit of arrogance Jesus gone around, and he's doing a bunch of miracles, and he sends them out, and they're going around doing miracles. And so they come to this father that's got this child that's really dealing with this, and this is a major big deal, and I think they took it a little casually. They took it a little arrogantly, and, it, and, and Satan said, I'm not playing your games. I'm not coming out of this, kid. You, you don't have enough power. You don't have enough authority to make me listen to you at this particular moment. And Jesus says to the disciples, because you're missing the concept of what faith really is and what authority really is. And that thing happens. This whole event would have been different if you'd have been spent time praying and fasting. This is, this is important for us. I don't believe that just being a Christian gives you everything that you need for all situations and settings. And this is part of the reason that Jesus tells the disciples to go be filled with the Holy Spirit before you leave Jerusalem. Because as a Christian, you don't have everything you need. You need empowerment. And then he says, as you're living this Christian life, you can rise up and get stronger and stronger and push out the the presence of the Lord, the authority of God. You take on the authority yourself rather than it being godly authority. And this can be changed with prayer and fasting. Why? Let's go back to Matthew 9, uh, 9 when he says, it's that this relationship thing. When I'm gone, you need to fast to remember who I am. And this is about me and not about you, that this is about my authority and not about you. This is about power over everything and not just living your Christian life on a daily basis. But again, the scripture I've been talking about over the last few months quite a bit is this idea that in the last days, we're going to have a form of godliness but not power. We're going to have good Christian church stuff, but we're not going to have power. And he's saying right here, when you come face-to-face with demonic activity, you better be close to me. I'm the, I'm the, the groom. You're the bridegroom. I'm, I'm, I'm the groom. You're the bride. And when I'm here, you don't need to fast. But when I'm gone, you need to make sure that prayer and fasting is part of your existence because you need to be close to me. That's the way you handle the stuff. It's not some kind of arbitrary, I'm a Christian kind of mentality, but it's closeness, and that can be determined directly by you, how close you are to the Lord. So I, I put some things down. Fasting helps us. Two basic things. Limit the input and focus on the Lord so that the input becomes about the Lord. Limit the input of what's happening in your world in your life. This is part of the reason that we, focus, uh, that we fast food. Food's a big input, is it not? Now, I've met some people along the way, I've got a friend of mine I went to college with, that he thinks eating is just what you do to stay alive. I, I've told him many times over the years, you're lucky you're still my friend, because I don't understand that kind of communist thinking. I don't get that. <laughs> Food is not just what we do to stay alive. That's how we live. Right? That's how God expresses himself to us. My wife made a, oh, I'll I'll say, stay focused, focus. Limit the input of all the stuff, and food is a big one, and and our natural needs and desires are are a big one. And and, uh, focus on the Lord. That's what fasting does. So then we, first thing is we listen better. We do spend more time with the Lord, and we really truly will desire the Lord's will. Fasting does this for us. And prayer, and lifestyle, and scripture, it helps us get, push all of our stuff to the side, push our natural tendencies as a human being. I want this. I need this. I desire this. I had a pastor years ago. He, did, he just passed away a couple months ago. He was in his 90s. And a little tiny guy, and just amazing man of God. And he'd say, while he was preaching, he would say, Now, now I really like Dorothy as his wife. I really like Dorothy. He said, but sometimes I look at Dorothy and I say, no, Dorothy, you and I are not having romance because I'm going to spend time with God. And I'm over there going. (laughs) But but here's the reality. Scripture actually says that fasting, even sexuality, fasting that is a way to say nothing else in my life. I'm going to focus in on you, Lord. You do it for short periods of time. First Corinthians talks about that. But saying no to food, saying no to the stuff. And so I want to encourage you this week to set some things up with fasting. I've I, I, I given you some ideas here with fasting. These are important things. Uh, set some challenging but reasonable goals. Don't Challenge yourself a little bit here, okay? Don't, don't be lazy about it. Do you really want to go after God? Are you really passionate about saying, God, I need more of you? Well, set some challenging goals. But have them be reasonable. You know, don't say, I'm not going to eat... One bite of food for the next eight months. You know, let's let's be reasonable with this. Now, I know of some people that have gone on 40-day fast, complete, f- no food, 40-day fast. We know a couple people in Scripture that even did that. One of them was Jesus. So, But set some reasonable goals. Uh, do some things. Not just food stuff, but set some things. So I'd say, God, I'm, I'm not going to be doing this. I'm going to be spending time with you instead. Um, your morning coffee. I'm not going to be having coffee. I'm going to be spending time with you. And you better do the praying. If you're not going to drink coffee, you better do the praying. There are innocent people around you. <laughs> so so focus in. Set some reasonable but some, some challenging goals. I, I want to encourage some of you to spend maybe a few days, maybe the entire week, that you go on a complete week-long uh, food fast. You, you can do that. Um, I get the question sometimes, well, what if I'm a diabetic? What well, are you going to figure that out? You figure out what you're what your deals are, but challenge yourself a little bit here, all right, push yourself and say, God, I want to spend some time with you, and, and remember, fasting without prayer is a diet, so make sure that it's, this is prayer and fasting, okay, um, the second thing is, this truly is about relationships, so don't condemn yourself, and I used to beat myself up with this, I would start trying to have a fast, and, and I would, you know, I'd get a good day into it, and and go buy a Mexican buffet, and I'm like, I can't do this, Lord. My flesh is weak. And so, so then I would think, oh, I've sinned, and I would repent for the next two or three weeks. Um, that's not a th- don't condemn yourself. You're, you're just wanting to go after the Lord. This is something you're sending. This is not a command from the Lord. This is something you're sending to get closer to him, to chase after him. And it's not just a, a sacrificing of yourself. It's a, Lord, I'm putting this stuff aside so that I can get in with you. Don't condemn yourself or beat yourself up with this. And then truly focus in on spending time with the Lord. That's what this is about. So this week, spend some time, focus in. Lord, I want to do this, I want to do this. So bow your head right where you're sitting, bow your head, and uh, and I want, us to, um, I want us to make a decision on this. I want, to make, I want us to make um, a, a, a concerted decision, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do this. And so I want to pray for us real quick, and while we're praying, um, obviously I'm asking God to show us some stuff, but... But to think about this, God, what what can I do here? Make a kind of an agreement with God. God, this is what I'll do. It may be difficult, but if you'll help me, Lord, I'll do this. Okay, God, we ask you to to, to get into our minds and our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, we want we want to to um, we want to be closer to you, Lord. I believe that that every person, hopefully every person in this room, that they want to be closer to you. They want more of you and, and less of them, and so. Lord, we ask you right now that with, with that passion, that, that desire that we have to chase after you, Lord, that, that um, you help us with this. Give us, give us some, some understanding, our spirit right now, of how we can spend some time fasting and praying and really seeking after you this week. And Lord, and give us a confidence right now, all across this room, give us a confidence that we can do this. In the name of Jesus. So, as you're, as you're, as you're sitting here with your head bowed, think to yourself, this is what I think I can do this week. This is what I think I can do. And your basic reason, I mean, you can pray for specific things along with this, but really a fast is not fasting to get, to God, get God to do stuff. It's fasting so we can get close to Him. And so the agreement or the connection or the whatever that you're processing right now is, God, this is what I want to do and I want to chase after you. I want to focus in on you. I want to be closer to you. So tell Him. God, this is what I think I can do. Maybe something that you do every day. Maybe, maybe a whole fast one day and a couple of different things a different day. Or, or um, you, you just you talk to God about this. God, every day at lunch, I'm gonna spend time with you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna eat my normal lunch. I'm just gonna spend time with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go sit in the car in the parking lot. I'm just gonna talk to you. I'm gonna spend time with you. Think about, think about it. Get in your head. This is what I wanna do. God. I make my commitment to you. You know you know what I've um what I've been talking to you about here And, Lord, I make my commitment to you. I'm going to do this this week. And Lord, my desire is I need you more. Lord, I don't want to I don't want the stuff of life to chase you out. Lord, I will chase the stuff of life out and put you in. So, Holy Spirit, move in our minds and our hearts. We want to chase after you. We want you to be in charge. I want you to be in charge, and God, as a body, as a as a church group, God, I ask you to bless us this week with your Spirit and your presence. Draw us in closer, Lord, to the point where next week when we get back here, that we recognize that we're different, that something has changed, that we're a different we're a different people than uh, than we are right now. God, help us to shake off the stuff of life. Help us to shake off even even some of the deep pains and frustrations we've dealt with as a body over the last year. Lord, help us to help us to push through and to let your spirit move through us and bring joy and peace all the things that you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Now, I would like, and I'm not trying to do this to section us off or anything. It's not what I'm trying to do. I just to give you an opportunity to make kind of a... Statement here. If you've got in your head, if you've got this is what I'm going to do this week and it's pretty much locked in, I'd like you to stand. This is what I'm going to do this week. I know what it is. This is what I'm going to do. All right. God, we thank you so much. Lord, for all those that are standing, I ask you to to, to help them be successful in what they're trying to accomplish. Lord, those that are still sitting, help them to figure out what what they're going to do with you, what they're going to do with this week. And uh, Lord, before they go to bed tonight, that they'll they'll lock that in, they'll know this is what I'm going to do. And then God bless us. Bless us with you. Bless us with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus and he will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Our ushers will be at the back ready to solicit you for the Schultz's uh, offering for India. So definitely get an opportunity to meet them, talk to them. And as God puts it on your heart, we want you to have the opportunity to uh, contribute financially too. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, You're dismissed.